we can tell, and I'm Jim McGinnis. Essays, narratives, journal entries, and passages from some of my favorite writers. Today I'd like to share with you some Francis Quinn, a character who rears his head in many of my writings. This episode is called Bonfire Conversation, and I'd like to dedicate it to my brothers-in-law, Roger Collier and Bill King. And of course, two warriors from decades past, my Uncle George and Dad. It's too pretty to be sitting here, Francis Quinn said to his faithful companions. How about a walk? Both dogs ran to the screen door at the very sound of the word. Quinn grabbed the leashes and off they went. It was a lovely evening and the Irishman who lived across the street was taking down the flag. He stopped and laughed at the sight of Quinn being pulled down the driveway. Who's walking who, Francis? Quinn laughed at himself. Well behaved, don't you think? Donegan, the male, barked hello. He was a charming old chocolate lab who readily expressed himself at every turn. Kids of all ages loved him, and he loved them back. Two men exchanged Christmas talk and other pleasantries. Making the trip this year, asked Quinn. The past five or six years, the old man had made the journey to Ireland where his parents were born. You betcha. I gotta get this knee in shape, though. Better start walking yourself. Oh, I plan on it, said the old man. As long as it doesn't get cold. Anything below 60 sent him into hibernation. The arthritis flared and he could be seen only to raise and lower the flag, along with heading in and out in mass. And maybe to the Knights of Columbus for some fellowship. Quinn smiled and shook his head. Well, make sure you say hello to my ancestors when you go. Quinn thought about heading over to Ireland many times, but his plans never quite took shape. He always found an excuse not to go. His travels usually ranged from the Carolina mountains to the Keys. When anyone, anyone asked him about going to Ireland, he would say, no, I'm afraid I won't come back. The response, of course, made no sense whatsoever. It was getting close to dusk, and as they made their way through the neighborhood, he looked up at the faint blue above him. There was a ribbon of orange stretching along the western horizon. The ancient oaks were silhouettes now, framing the Florida sky. There were parts of the old neighborhood that were run down, junk cars and unattended yards. As Quinn turned the corner, he saw two characters sitting beneath the Brazilian pepper tree. He waved politely, but they both stared straight ahead. No matter, he thought, what a beautiful night. Quinn whistled a Jimmy Buffett ballad as the three wound their way through the streets of Old Melbourne. He could hear the words in his head, nobody speaks to the captain no more, nobody talks about the war. As they strolled down the street, a man on a bike approached them, pedaling slowly. He was a haggard looking fellow. Quinn guessed that he was in his mid thirties. For whatever reason, the man rode fairly close to them. Brown Dog was not too thrilled with bicycles anyway, and he growled as the rider passed. Shut up, said the guy as he rode by. Quinn stopped and looked over his shoulder. Don't tell my dog to shut up, he said in a calm voice. When the rider turned around and came quickly towards him, Quinn didn't wait. Holding both leashes in his left hand, he rushed the bike, cuffing the man under the chin with his right, knocking him to the ground. 
What the hell? The guy yelled as he picked himself off the pavement. Both dogs were barking furiously and Quinn strained to hold them back. Move along, son, or I will finish this. Quinn could feel his blood pumping. He led the dogs away, but as he turned the corner, the man yelled, we'll see what the cops say about this. Let's see what the hospital has to say first, Quinn said as he moved again toward him. The man got on his bike and pedaled away. It's okay, pups. We're not going to let some asshole spoil our walk. Both dogs looked back a few times as they headed down the street. Shadow, the female, looked up at Quinn as if to ask him if things were all right. Don't worry, black dog, he said, reaching down to give her a pet. Soon they were bouncing along, carefree and curious again. Quinn gazed upward and saw the moon. Waxing gibbous, he said to himself. He began to relax again, soaking in the evening, but in the back of his mind was the man on the bike, and he decided to turn toward home. If the guy had any sense at all, he'd realize that he had it coming, Quinn thought, but he couldn't count on it. Dogs were good judges of character, and Donegan didn't like him from the get-go. I guess I should have kept on walking. What do you think, dogs? Buffett came back to him. He was a fugitive with a pseudo-name, lost his mind in a hurricane, coconut upside his head. Some folks say he better dead. Quinn wasn't too worried, and he sure didn't feel remorse. If the police were looking for him, he'd be easy to find, six foot three, 220, gray beard, Vietnam veteran ball cap, wearing cargo shorts and flip-flops, walking two Labrador retrievers. How many fit that description in the neighborhood? He also knew how the law worked, though, and he certainly didn't want trouble from that end. Times have changed. It's hard for a man to stand up for himself these days without getting into a world of shit. Quinn thought it would be wise to make himself scarce. This might be a good time to see Savannah, guys. How about it? The dog seemed agreeable. He had been planning a road trip all week, so he got on the computer and looked up the number for the dog-friendly comfort inn on Bay Street. It was only a five-hour drive. He packed up a few days of clothes and some food for the dogs. By 9 o'clock, they were headed toward I-95. There was no need to let anyone know of his plans. He'd be back before they missed him. that reach central Florida blow in like they're nobody's business. They drag their tails across the peninsula, sometimes pushing a little rain, sometimes not. Winds will shift before your very eyes from the southwest, then west, and finally from the north. Temperatures drop quickly to what old Floridians consider bone chilling. This front came in on Friday night, making Saturday a chilly day. But the winds died at sundown, and Frank Quinn looked forward to the first bonfire of the new year. He cooked chicken on the grill along with potatoes and onions, making enough for plenty of leftovers. Quinn was hoping his son would drop by after work and stand around the fire for a time. It had been a while since the two had hung out. He went outside to put on some music, and when he returned, he could hear Tim pulling up. The dogs, frisky in the cold, greeted him at the gate. Where in the hell did you go last week? Tim asked his father as he handed him a beer. That's how their conversation started, midstream, no salutations. Little trip to Savannah, Quinn replied dismissively. Just me and the dogs. 
Well, thanks for the heads up, Dad. Did you lose your phone? Quinn was not in the mood to apologize. He rarely was. By the way, son, Happy New Year. Tim raised his bottle in a flippant gesture. I ran into that cop you know over at Cumberland Farms. He asked me about you. He said he drove by the house, but you weren't around. I told him I thought you were out of town, but of course I didn't know where. Quinn thought that was a good thing to tell him. He seemed concerned, Dad. What's up? Steve, he probably just misses me. How was work? Asked Quinn. Trying to change the subject. The guy on the bike must have found a sympathetic ear. He decided to spare his son the worry. But Tim wouldn't let it go, quite yet. His dad was a kind and generous man, but he would lay hands upon you if something struck him the wrong way. And it seemed as the older he got, the less willing he was to turn the other cheek. You sure everything's okay, Dad? Tim asked, staring directly at his father. Quinn just smiled and nodded. One of my customers today said she knew you from way back, said she grew up in the same neighborhood. When his son told him her name, Quinn nodded again, feeling relieved that the conversation was going in a different direction. Yeah, they live right down the street. How did she figure out we were related? She said I looked just like you. Not sure it's a compliment. She was your mother's age, Quinn said, smiling. I knew her brother. He was about two or three years older than me, taught me to surf and skateboard. I think he was in love with your Aunt Fiona, and that's why he was so good to me. Oh yeah? Yeah. My dad was always suspicious of his motives, but he was a great guy. You ever talked to him, Tim asked? Got killed in Vietnam. They both took a drink at the same time. After a minute or two of saying nothing, Quinn's son asked him why he never talked about the war. He never really asked me about it, was his father's response. Like he and his father before him, Quinn and his son had a sporadic stream of communication. There was a great bond between them, but their talks were often peppered by sports and politics, a language of love between them, or so said Conroy. A lot of stuff I don't remember. Shit, Tim, I was out of the Army before I was 21. Tim knelt down to pet one of the dogs. What was your rank? Spec 4, Quinn explained how that was somewhere between Private First Class and Buck Sergeant. Yeah, I thought it was going to Germany. Eight weeks of basic and another eight weeks of AIT. What's that, Tim asked. Advanced infantry training. Quinn replied as he stirred the coals. Are you warm enough? He shivered at the realization that he and his son had rarely spoken of experience so central to his being. I'm good, Dad. Tell me more. 25th Infantry. We were the first to be issued the M16. M16? Yeah, buddy. Flew us to Sacramento, then to Hawaii, then Long Bend. You spend any time in Hawaii, asked him. Hell no. Expensive place, even back then, Quinn said, laughing. They wanted eight bucks for a beer. I told them they didn't have many drunks around here that couldn't afford it. Quinn sat down in the rocker and the dogs moved over and laid down on both sides. I made $6.50 a month, sent all but 40 of it home, except for the time I went to Australia. You went to Australia? Yep. Everybody was talking about Thailand, saying no way you're getting to Australia, but we made it. Yep, Sydney. Rented a place for about $90 a week. 
I took $700 and hid it in the wall, but I never stayed there. Ended up staying with this girl I met. We had such a good time that first night, I couldn't remember her name. Had to look at her mail the next morning. Tim nearly fell out of the chair laughing. What was her name, Dad? And I don't remember, shaking his head, smiling. It seemed like a lifetime ago. Tim got up and went in for a beer. Quinn said he had had enough, but the wheels were turning now. I guess I'll take one more. He was remembering things he didn't know he remembered. You ever look at my photo album, he said to his son when he returned. The dogs were barking at something in the dark. No, but I will now. It seemed as though the bonfire conversation had awakened his curiosity. I was stationed in Coochie until the last five months. Then I worked clearing LZs. LZs? Landing zones. Slept in the rice paddies so we could hear the VC coming. That's where I got jungle rot, wet feet. That's what's wrong with him now. Quinn's son looked at him in amazement. This was a completely different life his father had led, one that few knew anything about. He told his dad that when he was in school, his friends didn't believe him when he told him his father was in Vietnam. Didn't believe you? What, I don't fit the type? Let me tell you, boy, there were all kinds of kids over there. The ones you had in class, they said you didn't teach like a vet. They said you didn't tell war stories, just stories of, about growing up around here. Shit, this is like the first time you and I have really talked about it. Quinn seemed rather surprised. You know, I think I got that from your grandfather. He never taught much about World War II until he was in his 70s. A lot of men in his generation felt like, what's the big deal? We did what we had to do. Maybe Frank Quinn stumbled onto something. His father's generation saw courage and duty and sacrifice as something ordinary, something that was expected. He had tried to pass that along. His own son had not served in the military, and that was fine with Quinn. Surely those noble traits could be used for other things aside from deeds of war. One time my mom was upset with me for doing something, said Quinn, and she was going off on this tirade. Finally, my dad stopped her. He said, damn it, he's ordinary. He's gonna do ordinary things. Let's eat. Tim laughed. Now that sounds like Pop. I didn't say anything, but I remember feeling a bit hurt. But he was saying more than I knew. Just then, Tim's phone rang, but he turned it off without answering it. He started stirring the coals and set a small log on the fire. Hell, his dad said. The things your Uncle Roger did were above and beyond the call. But not to him, he did his duty. Ever talked to him about it? His son said no. I know he flies that flag every day. Someone's gotta do it, Quinn said. John Mellencamp sang Small Town. He stood up and looked upward toward the stars, admiring the cool, clear evening. Son, everything you've seen, heard, or done comes out of you, if you let it. Keith Richards said that about music, but it's true about everything in this life. My ball playing days, army days, college days, they shaped me. Quinn paused, but not as much as your mother did. From the day I first saw her in high school, I tried to impress her, <clears throat> tried to be better than I was. Quinn sat back down. He was known to get sentimental when he sat by the fire. You were drafted, right? Dad? His son brought the conversation back to Vietnam. 
Keeping his father on the subject was a formidable task. Yep, I won that lottery. I think I was number 97. Lose any friends over there? Quinn looked at him for a moment. Hell yes, I did. He was gonna leave it at that. Tim asked him why he never went to the wall. I did, son, by myself. The son said nothing. Made four etchings. There were two guys I remember like yesterday, two Indiana boys. They quit school and went over together in the buddy system. They got killed together. Their Jeep hit an IED. Tim didn't ask him what an IED was. You know, I have those tapes your grandfather made, said Gwen, changing his tone. Yeah, I'd love to hear them again. Love to hear his voice, son said, smiling sadly. Did I ever tell you how hard it was to get him to make those? I don't believe I heard that, Dad. He told of his father's later years, sitting in his recliner, spinning tails. He'd light his pipe, lean his head back, and blow smoke straight up in the air. Then tell me a story I'd never heard. Quint told Tim about buying the tape recorder for Christmas one year and how his dad seemed irritated by the gesture. That was his nature. After he died, I found all the tapes all neatly stored in his drawer. The fire was dying, and Quinn talked more about the old man and his ways. Did you ever talk to him about Vietnam? Asked Tim. The funny stuff, yeah, he knew about Australia. My mom didn't, and neither does yours. Quinn went to put another log on the fire. And Tim looked at his watch and said, I better go, Dad. One last log, son. No, that means another beer. Quinn thought better of it and put down the log. It had gotten colder and the dogs were curled up on the deck. His son put out the fire while Quinn picked up the bottles and cans. Thanks for coming over, boy. Enjoyed it. Maybe next time we'll talk about Gainesville. Ha, Tim said. I got a few stories of my own about that place. Bet you do. That's all for now. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Stories We Can Tell, and I'm Jim McGinnis, wishing you fair winds. <laughs>